Please stand for the reading of God's word from Proverbs 3, 5, and Matthew 7, 25 through 27. First, from Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. And from Matthew 7, verses 25 through 27. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be foolish, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Well, good morning again. I'm Travis. I'm the pastor here. It's good to be with you on this first Sunday in Lent. As Leonard highlighted for us, you can see uh, on the stage behind me, our liturgical colors have changed back to purple, uh, which is a color of waiting and anticipation. Much like Advent was a season of waiting, we are anticipating not the coming of the Lord, but the redemption of the Lord in Easter. And particularly as we go through a difficult season as a church, it's good to be reminded that God is on the move. Uh, that his work continues, that he is still doing things, that he is still out for our good. And so let these colors and the season remind you today that God is still at work. We will be finishing today a short series uh, that we started about a month ago that we're calling Walking in Darkness, uh, hoping to address the difficult moment we find ourselves in as a church, uh, a moment of uncertainty pain and difficulty. If you're a visitor, there's uh, more I could go into, but we can't do it uh, at this time. But we're glad that you're with us. Pray that God would speak to you today as we've been going through themes of how we experience uh, uncertainty, pain, even suffering in our personal lives, in our life corporately together, how we enter into that rather than just avoid it and run from it. Uh, How we walk in wisdom, faith, and love together through a time where we don't know what's coming next and we're not sure what the right thing to do is and how we get to do that, not walking alone, not just walking in our own wisdom as we'll talk about today, but with the wisdom of God walking beside us as a friend. And so last week we looked at how God both calls us and enables us to care for one another deeply amidst times of uncertainty and pain and how we're given the opportunity to do that better, more fully by finding Jesus in one another. That when we find Him, we find each other again. Uh, In line with that, I want to exhort us to continue uh, to make efforts, as I know so many of us have, to be gentle and gracious with one another as we walk through uncertainty. Again, there are some resources on the website under our resource uh, page. There's a tab uh, there that says trauma and abuse response, and there are opportunities there to to have some guidance for how we can relate with each other well uh, in this time. But as we close this series, I want to focus not just on how we enter into pain, not how we understand it, not just how we relate to God and to each other through difficult things, but to ask a question about on what does our life really rest? When the ground is shaking beneath your feet, when things are changing, what do you lean on? What will you rely on? What will you come back to? And what, more than that, will actually hold you when the storm comes through? Now, returning to Proverbs 
3, 5, uh, which was actually one of the favorite verses uh, of my mother-in-law. It feels fitting uh, nearly a year since her passing that we talk about that today. But it's a passage that calls us to trust in the Lord over against any understanding and wisdom that we might have of our own. And we're also going to lean on Jesus' call related to that to build the house of our life on the rock, on Him, through Matthew 7, to help us start to learn how we weather a storm like this, when it will be easy in the days and weeks that will come, in the months that will come, to just try and rely on our own understanding, to sit down in what I think should happen, what I think happened, what I think ought to happen next, how we should have done things this way or that way. It is going to be very easy for any of us just to set up shop and this is what I think is the way that things ought to go. But God calls us to something more than just leaning on ourselves and more than even what the best of our own wisdom or understanding could provide. We get to lean instead on God. So I want us to look at how these texts invite us to do that through considering four things. Don't panic. It's essentially three points structured in four ways. So same amount of time, you're going to be okay. If anything, it will be faster for you. So we're going to look at what we're prone to do when we're stressed, when problems come our way, which is to lean on our own understanding. Second, what we're called to do, which is to trust in the Lord with our whole heart. Third, we're going to look at the difficult nature of actually doing that. And fourth, we're going to look at a picture of those two different things, what we, what we naturally do and what we are called to do. So what we're prone to do, what we're called to do, the difficulty of it, and a picture of both. Now, before we do that, I invite you to bow your heads and let's pray together. Ask God to fill up our time as we enter His Word. Father, we still our hearts before you for a moment, knowing that you have spoken these things long ago and far away, and yet they have reached our ears here and now in the greater Boston area, that we are an unlikely people in the sweep of history to receive your word and your speaking and your salvation, and yet here you are speaking, having spoken to unlikely places, unlikely people for centuries, people going through difficult times, hard things, and you have continued to be relevant and valid and trustworthy. And so we pray this morning that through your word we would find you to be exactly that relevant, valid, trustworthy, a friend, the rock that we can build our life on that will not move though the world moves around us. And so God, if we feel like our lives are spinning right now, I pray that you would be that one point of calm where we might stop spinning for a moment and just take a breath in your presence and rest for a little while. So would you be that rest for our souls this morning? Speak through your word and by your spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, feel free to have those open. We'll be going through uh, both the Proverb and Matthew 7 a little bit. We'll start in the Proverbs, so you'll have ample time to flip to the back. Uh, we're going to begin in Proverbs 3, 5 with what we are prone to do when we face distress, when we face difficulty and trials. We're prone to lean on our own understanding, uh, to trust in ourselves. As one commentator, Bruce Walke, points out, the word for trust in this proverb conveys something that you rely on for, quote, a sense of security and usually in the face of danger. 
This is not just, well, it's convenient for me to trust. I like trusting in this thing. I, I find it agreeable. This is, what are you looking for when you feel stressed, when you feel afraid, when you feel concerned, when you're not sure what's going to happen next, when you really need something to work out, what do you look for for help? In those moments, what Proverbs 3.5 warns us against is our tendency to trust in, to lean on, is the picture it gives us, to lean back on something that gives a false sense of security that suggests it will hold you, that it will help you, but it actually won't help you when you need help. And it explains this false sense of security lies in, as we've already alluded to, leaning on our own understanding amidst danger and distress. That's what gives us a false sense of security that I can handle this. And really, so much of our life and our culture is built around that very notion, the concept that come what may, I will be ready to face this thing on my own. That, that sort of American spirit of rugged individualism that no matter what happens, I've got this. Proverbs says, no you don't. <laughs> that that is actually a false sense of security Relying on ourselves instead of God is what Proverbs says looks like help, but in the end is only a false hope. Proverbs says it might feel safe, it might feel reliable, but it is not. And it warns us against that because our natural tendency is to trust ourselves and to think that we have it down, that we don't need help when we actually do. Proverbs is warning us that we naturally trust ourselves most, but maybe no one has let you down in your life more than you, if we're honest. There's something kind of cruel and tragic about that, like in a movie when a character trusts someone to help them escape or to survive, and in the end, that person just turns them over to their greatest enemy, just betrays them. That's what Proverbs saying it's like to lean on your own understanding. It's something that you feel will deliver you and take you out, but in the end, it just flips. It falls out. It betrays you. It doesn't give you what you need. That's what Proverbs says our own individual, finite, human, limited understanding does. It simply betrays you in the end. And you might think, especially as we get older, that yes, that was a risk for me when I was younger. I'll acknowledge that. But now, look at me, right? I'm past. I have degrees, I have experience, I have things that say that I see clearly now. I may have let myself down in the past, but that was the past. But the reality is, leaning on your own understanding is always, always a matter of thinking that you know enough right now, that you know better right now than you did then that you're more capable now of handling it than you were then. That's what it feels like to be leaning on your own understanding. That's why Proverbs is waving the flag and saying, look over here, you're not going to get it if you don't pay attention because naturally you're going to feel like I'm doing the right thing. But that feeling is deceptive. It's the feeling of doing the thing, not being beyond the thing. 
If you think that you've got this on your own, Proverbs says, that's a dangerous feeling because there are things you can and do miss, even major things. You need something more than you to rescue you. You don't have that infinite knowledge. Uh, another pastor, Tim Keller, said in several sermons, he asked people, how many of you think that the kinds of decisions that you made five or ten years ago were not as good as the decisions that you would make today? Hopefully, some of us, right? Hopefully, we're making better decisions. And then he asked this follow-up question. He said, what makes you think that in five or ten years from now, you won't think the same thing then? Why won't it be that in five or ten years from now, you will look back on today and say, I didn't know anything about how to make a good, wise decision in this area, how to have self-control in that area, how to be patient, how to be kind? What makes us think that we have gotten so far that we've actually stopped needing to grow, that we're beyond the point where we can't get major things wrong just because we are going, growing and praise God that we're growing, but that doesn't mean that we finally arrived. The older we get, we're always going to be feeling like, was I even sentient? <laughs> was I aware of anything at all at that age? Mistake comes, the mistake comes in thinking we've arrived, that we won't miss things this time, but we certainly will and we do. That's just how it goes. It's what we are prone to do. We're prone to see a danger, a risk, a complex problem and respond as though we can handle it on our own, as though we have enough wisdom somehow without God or that the wisdom we have attained to this point is not from God and that we don't need anything more from Him, that we're not relying on Him and that we can do this on our own. That's how we are prone to live. That's how I'm prone to live. I would venture a lot of money, which I don't have, that you all are prone to live the same way, that we are just instinctive in trusting ourselves. But we are not called to do that. Proverbs says, again, that's a false sense of security that will let you down in the end. It says something else is not a false sense of security that you actually need. So secondly, what are we called to do then if not to trust in ourselves? We are called not to lean on our own understanding, but instead to lean, to trust with our whole heart, to put your weight on, you could say, on God, to let Him hold you. We're called to do the opposite of what we most naturally do, to trust someone else beyond ourselves. It's a shift that's as dramatic as can be, as different as can be from me feeling like I am sovereign enough, that I have power enough, that I have wisdom enough to saying, I do not have enough. I am not enough on my own. I need God's power and strength. It is the inverse of what we so naturally do. As Matthew 7 will show us, it is a, a seismic shift. It is a dramatic difference between what it looks like to build your house, your life on the Lord. And it's a, a shift we won't likely want to make. It's not something that feels inviting. It is hard if you've had this experience to feel like instead of trusting myself right now, I am going to trust the Lord. That is not something we intuitively want to do. That's not like me telling my kids, do you want to go for ice cream? And they're like, yep, definitely want to go for ice cream. If I say, do you want to clean up? Nope. 
right? Trusting in the Lord is more like telling our kids to clean up. You don't want to do that naturally, right? It is not something you're hungry for, or maybe you are, and you are an exceptional child, and praise God for you. Um, but these things are things that don't feel inviting, and yet I want to point out that there is actually an invitation in this, this call to do something different that we might easily miss. I want us to notice that we are actually invited, urged even, to trust the Lord, invited to do that instead of ourselves. You're not told that your understanding is poor, but that's the best you've got, so do the best you can. The proverb could say that. It could say you lack understanding, but that's the best you can do. No one's going to help you. God doesn't care about you. It could say that. And maybe that's your conception of God and Christianity is it's a DIY religion. It's no one's going to help you if you don't help you. But that's not what this proverb says. It makes an invitation to, yes, shift from you being the one that has all the power and all the understanding, and it invites you to come into something different, to rely on the eternal, infinite God. We're offered to make use of His wisdom and power. The wisdom and power of someone dramatically wiser, more, more gracious, more all-knowing, more, more able to actually act and willing to act than we are. The Proverbs saying that there is another way that you can go, and it's not a choice between basically similar options, but between drastically different options. There is no more great divide than there is between how Scripture thinks about man and God, that the infinity that God is could compare to the finitude that we are. There are vastly different things. You, do you see what the Proverbs is asking you, inviting you to do, how much different it is? It's saying you, you want to see what that star is out there, and on your own understanding, you're using a toy telescope to try and look. You can't even see anything out of those sometimes. Right? It's inviting you by contrast and saying, would you like to come use the James Webb telescope and look at stars across the universe from space? That's the difference of magnitude that the proverb is talking about. Would you like to rely on yourself with a toy telescope or would you like for free to come and use the James Webb telescope and look with high def at any star that you want to? There's a dramatic invitation. You would say, I will set down my toy telescope. You can burn it if you want to. And I will come and use the James Webb telescope every day of my life. Why would I not do that? Of course, I would do that. There's a dramatic difference. We feel like I'm really hesitant to let go of this thing that I know how to use, that I'm comfortable with. But if I really see what's being offered, I would drop it in a second and go and make use of that. We don't have to rely, the Proverbs saying, on your little toy telescope. You don't have to. You can come use the big, fancy, expensive telescope. You can rely on God. And you might say, I still don't want to do that. I like my toy telescope. I like the stickers I have on it. I like the memories I have on it, with it. I want to be in control. But don't miss the fact that, that we should not expect God to offer this. This is actually a gracious invitation. You would not expect NASA to call you up and say, would you like to put down your toy telescope and come use the James Webb telescope? No. 
And yet we see the grace of God in that. And then he says, I want you to set that down and come and use what I've got. He urges us, even with all our mistakes, even all the ways that, that we think we've arrived, that we think we're that much farther down the road, to come and lean on Him instead. That's what Jesus is getting at when He says later in Matthew, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. It's an invitation to follow this proverb and to lean, to rest on, to make use of the Lord for what life is bringing your way to put your weight on Him, on something that can actually hold it, something that can get the job done, something that can take you there. See here the God who does not expect you, who is not asking you to carry yourself. You may not want to let Him do that, but see the, the grace of God in that. The patience and the kindness of God who would approach you that way, who would not say, I don't care about you, do it on your own, but who would say, here, come with me. We're called to lean on Him with our whole heart and let Him carry us, but the reality is the nature of doing that to get to our third point is very difficult. It's really hard. Because trusting in God versus trusting in my own understanding requires not just God's gracious invitation, but a serious amount of patience and faith. It requires patience because to trust the Lord is to be on His timetable and not on mine. Maybe that's the thing that we like most about using our own understanding is it is on our timetable. In a world where we want things on our timetable, where we have digital downloads, we have two-day free shipping, we can go get things at the drop of a hat, we want things on our timetable. This is an extremely hard culture to be patient in. And being on the Lord's timeline, trusting in His understanding for Him to move when the time is right in the way that's right requires that I sit in patience. God required His people historically to sit in patience. God made the promise to Abraham to give him a child, and then Abraham had to sit in patience for 13 years before that promise came true. Joseph had to sit in prison for two years before God delivered him. Israel had to sit in captivity and genocide and brutality for 400 years before the time was right for God to call them out. Israel had to sit in silence between the last prophet and the coming of John the Baptist for 400 years before the time was right to announce the way or the coming of the Lord. Scripture is filled with people having to wait. And yet in that waiting, having something so much more than if we had rushed to simply do it ourselves. It is really hard to have that patience, to not just tap out and to say, okay, I'm taking over the controls now, back to me, right? That was a fun commercial break where God was in the mix for a little bit, but now back to our programming where I am the protagonist. It's really hard to do, to wait on him. We are prone to be much more like King Saul in 1 Samuel 13, uh, when Samuel said he needed to wait seven days and then Samuel would show up and they would have the sacrificial offerings before going into battle to face the enemy. And day seven comes and Samuel hasn't showed up and Saul thinks, uh-oh. And the army is starting to leave and Saul is really starting to think, uh-oh. And so Saul then does what the king was not permitted by God to do, which is go ahead and make the offerings himself 
without Samuel there. And as soon as he does that, Samuel shows up and says, what have you done? Because you didn't wait, the kingdom you thought that you were making sure would persevere, would endure with you, will not endure with you. What you thought in your own understanding you were doing for your benefit, you were actually doing for your detriment. I am far more like Saul. You and I are far more like Saul. We think we are solving a problem with our busyness and with our effort and with our control, and more often than not, we are just creating bigger problems. We're prone to take things into our hands and we don't see God working in the way we understand or on the timeline that we want. But the history of God's people is that patience pays off. It takes significant patience to trust in the Lord, to let things even look like they are falling apart, like they did with Saul's army, rather than turning back to doing it our way. And it requires not just patience, but faith to do that. Because as you see things falling apart, it is really hard to just stand there and hold the line and wait. Things are falling apart around you. Things are falling apart in your health, in your life, in your relationships. It is really hard to stand on just that one place of I am trusting in the Lord, I am not trusting in myself, which doesn't mean I don't act or I don't move, but I am not going to lean just on what I think I ought to do. I'm going to lean into the Lord. It is really hard to sit in that place. It requires great faith to say, if I should lose everything I have, if all of my relationships should break down, if I should lose all the approval that I ever have, if I should lose my job, if I should lose my health, if I should lose my finances, if I should lose my place to live, if I should lose my family, if I should lose everything I have, if I should die rather than live, then let me die because I'm waiting on the Lord because God can give it all back even though I can't. Because God can raise me up even though I can't raise myself. He can do what I can't do, so I'm going to trust the person who can do what I cannot do. I'm not going to trust what my eyes see. I am going to lean on something that I know will hold me, whether this side of the grave or the other, because I can only try and hold me here. It's a patience and faith that leans on God knowing what he is doing even when I don't know what he is doing. It's a patience and faith that believes that I will be better off for him doing it even if I don't know. And this, this truly monumental trust and patience that this requires is something we're, we're only really given when we see the trustworthiness of God on display. And that brings us to our last point, which gives us a picture of these two differing ways of life, of relying on yourself, leaning on your own understanding, or leaning on God and seeing the trustworthiness of God come out in that as we turn, if you want to flip over now to Matthew chapter 7. Um, we'll go actually through verses 24. We'll add an extra verse. 
and 27. Uh, Jesus gives a picture here at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. This is the very last uh, segment of the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He, he gives a picture of two people who built two houses, one on a rock, on a solid foundation, and one on sand, on something that was not solid. And he talks about what happens to their homes when a powerful storm comes through. And it's a picture that's meant to show two different kinds of trust, two different kinds of ways of life, relying on yourself or relying on God. Jesus gives this entire sweeping sermon. The teaching is like nothing else that anyone has ever said before. And at the end of it, he says, the one who hears my words, all these things, and who does them. In other words, the person who trusts in me, who believes that I'm worth following, that what I said is actually worth putting their life behind, putting weight on. The person who does these things is like the person who built their house on the rock. But the person who does not hear these things is like the person who built their house on the sand. He's talking about a difference in trust, a difference in foundation. Those are the two parallel things he's talking about. The house, presumably, is the same. He doesn't say this person built a two-story house and this person built a one-story house, and so, of course, built a one-story house. He, he just says they built two houses, but what was different was the foundations. And it's not clear if anyone would ever build a house on the sand. It might be, it seems to be, that Jesus is using a ridiculous premise to make a point, to say, essentially, it is equally unthinkable that you would try to rely on yourself rather than relying on God. Equally unthinkable to build a house on the sand as to rely on yourself instead of to hear and trust in me. Saying, who would do that? Why would you do that? Why would you use the toy telescope instead of the massive telescope? It's just as counterproductive to trust something like our understanding when we are so like sand. Shifting, uncertain, unsteady. It's the foundation that Jesus says makes the difference in your life. What you trust in can either deliver you or disappoint you. It matters what you rest on because the house can, as the parable shows, withstand the storm if it just has the right thing to stand on. He doesn't say, look at that, he doesn't say that the second man's house was built poorly or that it was made of shoddy materials or that the construction was done poorly or that it was one of these rehab, flip a house jobs where suddenly you find out everything is wrong. That's not what it says. It says they built two houses. The houses are parallel. The house, if it just has the right foundation, is actually able to stand up under this intense beating of a storm. And if you and I are the house in this analogy, that means that we can withstand the storms in our lives if we just have the right support. The storm can come. Tragedy can come, distress and pain can come and batter your life, but if you have the right foundation, the right trust, you can stand in the end. The storm will have passed and you will remain. It's possible. Jesus says it's the life that trusts in Him that endures. 
It's a life that trusts that He is worth depending on, that, that His words are true, that He is a rock that you can stand on that will allow you to stand up in the end, to be the house that's built on the rock. And those who don't trust in something beyond them, don't trust in a God that is unfailing, that is infinite, wise, and eternal, are those, verse 27, that end up devastated. Because what you leaned on in your own understanding, what I think is right, what I can see from my vantage point, from my limited tiny life in the sweep and scope of history, that I from here can see all things, that's what kind of the the enlightenment and our modern cultural moment is about, that, that with enough reasoning and enough power that I can discern all things, and yet we are still this speck in time. The life that rests on those things, that leans on its understanding, comes in the end to find that that understanding could not support it in the trial. The appeal of Jesus, of Proverbs, is to build your house on something that will let you still be standing when the storm comes, to build your house on the rock, on a foundation that can actually hold the depths of your life, not on your knowledge, but on God's knowledge, love, and power, and care, not just on my ability to see that's what I should do, but on God's ability to see it and actually do it, on God's love to do it in a way that we can't possibly do for ourselves, to trust Him for our foundation. Please, Jesus says, please, Proverbs says, please, I say to you this morning, please trust something that can actually hold you, that won't disappoint you in the end, that won't keep putting the weight on your shoulders, that won't make you continually be shifting in the sand of, I don't know how to handle this. And yet just knowing that God is capable of holding you doesn't necessarily make you trust Him. An intellectual knowledge does not change your life. Something more is required. We trust when we, someone, when we see that someone cares about me just as much, if not more, than I care about me. Those are the people that we trust. When you see someone who cares about you just as much as you care about you, When you see someone who is so committed to to willing your good that they will do anything for you, that they will go as far as they can go to take care of you, that's when you put yourself in their hands, when you see that they care about you. And that's what God shows us in the person of Jesus Christ. He is where we learn to trust God with our whole heart, not in an intellectual way, but in an experiential way where we actually do this because He cares so much for you that your life actually changes. You see that Jesus cares so much for you that He would become like you, that the infinite God would become finite and limited and walk among you, that that the infinite eternal God who possessed all things, who made the world by the power of His Word would come and be a carpenter, a blue-collar tradesman, that He would become like us because of His care and share our burdens, not stand far off. He wouldn't come as a king and a conqueror in a palace with servants, but would come as a servant, not to be served, but to serve, and not just to live like you, not just to live with you, but to actually give up that life itself to rescue you from your own understanding. He would rather be 
washed away by the flood of rightful judgment for our sin than to see us sink beneath it. He would rather be sifted like a house built on sand when the storm come, as if he had never trusted the Father when all he did was trust the Father so that you and I would never be devastated by misplacing our trust. So that you would actually be given through the power of the Holy Spirit a new heart that is enabled to do what it could not naturally do, which is to trust in someone outside of you. To trust in something that I can't see or understand. To trust in God. And when that gets into your heart by the power of the Holy Spirit, that's when you are enabled to trust Him, when you see His care for you, when you see the trustworthiness of God, not when you just know your own insufficiency, but when you see how much God loves you, what He will do for you, the extents that He would go to make sure that you can rest on Him, to show you that you can rest on Him. That's when we trust. That's what changes us. So how do we change more practically this week? In the weeks and months to come, I want to encourage us to do two things in light of this, to to search our hearts and to accept the invitation. I want to invite us to search, really, our whole heart. The proverb invites you to trust the Lord, not with part of you, but with all of you, with your whole heart. The heart was the seat of being in the ancient times, in the Hebrew mindset. There wasn't a heart head. The heart was the seat of your intellect, your will, your affections. It encapsulated all of you. It's saying, put all of you in the Lord's hands. And so, we need to to look around and see, where am I still leaning on my own understanding? And there are probably a lot of ways. I know there are for me. And so, if there are for you, you're certainly not alone. But, But ask yourself today, this week, Invite someone else to to talk with you about where is some corner of my life where I am just unwilling to trust God beyond my own understanding? Where am I unwilling to let him say, this is the way, walk in it, when I say, I don't understand how that works and I will not? Where am I leaning on my own understanding when God is beyond my own understanding? Is it some desire that I have? Is it a mindset? Is it a paradigm I have for how life ought to work? Is it a a hobby I have? Is it that I don't want to let go of? Is it a relationship I have that God is calling me to enter into in a certain way or perhaps to, to act differently in? Is there somewhere where I won't let God take my life and reshape it because my understanding is still sitting in the driver's seat? And I can tell you to the extent that you do that and start to unearth that and start to let God work with that, there will only be, though there will be pain, there will only be such a flourishing when we start to move off of the sand because the storms will stop beating you down and crushing you. You will start enduring more and more when you have a greater and greater foundation. So invite yourself to explore, what what am I afraid of there? That thing where I can't let go of my own understanding. What am I afraid of? If I let go of that, what will happen? 
And when I see Jesus and what He went through to have me, do I believe that He cares about me, that 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 love can speak to my fears? How do I let the love of Jesus Christ speak to my fears and my, my, my fright about being unwilling to let God lead the way? Invite Him into that space as we search and finally accept the invitation to lean on Him. Proverbs does give us that invitation. It doesn't say, again, well, tough luck. You got your own understanding and that's it. It invites you to lean on the Lord. So I want to invite you to just try once, right? Just a baby step. Just take one step and give yourself just one break this week from having to rely on your own understanding. How do I respond to this email that just came in? What do I do with this problem that I couldn't foresee? What do I do with this relationship that is breaking down, with my finances that are are troubling me right now? To, To accept the invitation to trust God when you are distressed in some way this week. To pray and turn that over to Him. To ask Him to work. To ask Him to give you the patience to sit in that and let Him work on His timetable, to give you the ability to have the faith to say that if I lose a lot in waiting on you, that I know there will be more that I gain through the waiting. Put it in His control. Accept the offer to not have to be your own foundation. How freeing is that when it doesn't all depend on you? When you can depend on someone else, a friend amidst the storm. Let's pray. I'd like to leave a few moments for you to to speak to the Lord about the things that we've just talked about, about the things in our our service this morning, about what's on your heart, maybe thanking God for for really showing us that He does care about us, that He really is worthy of our trust, that He does go to great extents to love us, or maybe just confess the ways that you recognize right now. There is some corner of your heart where I just want to lean on my understanding and I don't want to hear it, God, to confess that, or to ask Him to just to, to open your heart more to trusting, on, to trusting Him, to leaning on Him. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are a rock that we can rely on, that we don't have to lean on our own understanding, but you know how prone we are to do that, even when we see you, even when we know you. So we pray that you would just keep working, that you would still be gentle with us and patient and kind, that you would be that rock that can handle our shifting and still hold us up. So we pray that you would be merciful to us in that way, that you would be powerful and strong, that you would give us patience and faith to endure, that we might have that greater thing on the other side, which is you. In your name we pray. Amen.